Welcome to another edition of What the Cross Means to Me devotional program. This is your host, Rob Holt, coming to you from the KKXX Studios, Life Radio, Chico 104.5 and AM 930. It is good to be with you as we contemplate fresh perspectives on the meaning of the cross. I am not a theologian, but I have been a photographer for over 30 years. And if a picture tells a thousand words, then yes, I guess you can say I preached the glory of our Creator by capturing and sharing what the Creator has created. My mission is to share the gospel through my imagery, the spoken word, and the written word. This program fulfills the spoken part, and the imagery utilized for this devotional are of a singular cross on a lonely hill shot over a two-year period. The written word for this program is from a book I published about that cross collection. It matches 30 cross images with 30 original essays from a wide spectrum of Christian leaders sharing their insights on the cross. The book shares the same name as the program, What the Cross Means to Me, by Harvest House Publishers. Each week we read one of the essays and ponder the wider meaning of the cross through the lens of scripture. This week's essay is Free by Francine Rivers, who had a successful writing career in the general market for several years before becoming a born-again Christian. She then wrote Redeeming Love as her statement of faith, a retelling of the biblical story of Gomer and Hosea set during the time of the California gold rush. Redeeming Love is now considered to be by many to be a classic work of Christian fiction, and is currently having a movie produced about it, scheduled to be released in 2021. Francine went on to publish numerous best-selling and award-winning novels with Christian themes, including The Masterpiece, Bridge to Heaven, and A Voice in the Wind. And with that, let us begin the essay. Free. I am free. Sin no longer has power over me. Jesus no longer hangs upon the cross, for he is alive, and I am alive in him. I am his because of the gift of faith. He is my bread and water. He is the air I breathe. Let me be soft clay in your mighty hands, Lord. Knead me and shape me into the vessel you intend me to be. For I experienced the wonder of your presence through the cross. Oh, the joy, the joy of my salvation through Jesus Christ, the Lord. That ends the essay, Free, by Francine Rivers, and included in the book, What the Cross Means to Me. There is a poem accompanying this essay by William Penn, which says, No pain, no palm, no thorns, no throne, no gall, no glory, no cross, no crown. And there's an image accompanying this essay, which is titled The Shadow, which is one of my favorites and which is one of the most surreal images in the entire collection. The entire image, except the cross and the foreground, are completely full of the most unique shade of blue. It's the richest, lightest, and calming type of blue I have ever seen. The cross is not a silhouette, but a reflective white cross that jumps off 
in contrast from the rich blue sky. The foreground around the cross is covered in the type of amber-yellow grass you see in late summer. It also tells you that I shot this cross before they broke ground on the school. I shot this with my tripod at its lowest height, about three feet high, which means the camera is angled up towards the cross. I then use the long exposure of 30 seconds to stack up the color upon itself. This is the reason to the unique blue hue, as it was a bit, say, half hour after sunset, which was behind me. I was shooting east, and even at that point, there is a tint of blue you normally see every day, that time of day, in that transition zone between day and night. The same hue you see on the opposite side of the sky between night and day. So, why the reason for the name of Shadow? Well, one of the first verses that come to mind is Psalm 17:8. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. And yet, the verse I resonate most with is Psalms 91, 1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Both of these involve trusting in the Lord and enjoying the security of God's blessing and protection. Until recently, I never considered the deeper meaning of this verse beyond the poetic description of the protection and comfort of the Lord. And yet, we see in Matthew twenty-three thirty-seven, Jesus said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered my children together, even as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings? The imagery is beautiful, but as in all things of God, the more closely we examine it, the more splendor we see. So for me, I see there's two parts to that verse. The one is dwelling in the shelter of the Most High. Every morning I ask God to come and dwell with me in my heart and allow me to dwell in Him. That's part of the point of Christianity is to have that symbiotic dwelling. And it's a precursor. So by dwelling in God and God dwelling in you, then you are abiding in the shadow of the Most High. And it helps. It helps when the tectonic plates of your life shift everything upside down. Dwelling with and trusting God is a place where we can shelter until the storm passes by. And it is where we find mercy. We read in Psalms 57 verse 1, Be merciful unto me, O God, be merciful unto me, for my soul trusts in you. Yes, in the shadow of your wings I will make my refuge until these calamities diminish. And an analogy popped in my head, and it's kind of in regards to where I live, meaning in the summer we'll have a streak of a few days or more than a week with triple-digit temperatures. And if you are standing in full sun on, say, a 111-degree day, it is not just miserable but also dangerous to stay in that type of sun for an extended period of time. However, stepping into the shadow of a shaded area provides relief and safety. Now, yeah, the day is still hot, but if you can stay in the shade, you can safely make it through the day. And in life, there are evil powers, bitter people, like the blazing sun that try to hurt you and distract you from your destiny and generally keep you miserable. 
But you can find immediate relief and peace in the midst of it to fulfill your destiny in and for the kingdom of God. All that said, I have to confess that none of those verses or analogies was originally what inspired me to name this image. The reason is because of the shadow in the image. Many don't see it right away, but once you see it, you will never not see it. The shadow is just behind the white cross and appears to the left and slightly above the cross. It looks as if the shadow is clinging to the upper left-hand side of the cross. question is, did I do this on purpose? Was it an accident? Was it a little bit of both? Remember, I said that this was a 30-second shot, and I, the photographer, have to use an external flash to illuminate the cross. If I don't use a flash at some point during the exposure, I will end up with a silhouette of the cross, which is not a bad thing. Many of my images in the collection are of a silhouette cross, but it really depends on the composition. This image would not have the effect it has without the reflected white cross. Now, it's not just that the cross will be in silhouette. The grass and the foreground will all be a colorless black silhouetted area. And when I do use the flash, I can choose to pop it at the beginning, middle, or end. Now, if you're taking long exposures and there's people involved, you always want to have it at the end. If you pop your flash at the beginning and it's a long exposure and people are still moving, you'll get a, what's called ghosting. You will start to see through the people. Whereas if you pop your flash at the end, it freezes your subject and eliminates ghosting. So in this image, I chose to hit the flash at the very end. Now, the important variable to this image is that it was a fairly windy night. And just before I popped the flash, a gust of wind rose up, strong enough to push the camera just a bit. The, you know, a tripod has three legs, and if you have one foot extended towards the wind and the other two open on the other side... It can be vulnerable to this type of incident. The wind kind of picked up the camera just slightly as I had popped the flash. Now, this creates a perfectly reflective white cross with the ghosted silhouette of the cross right behind it. Simply amazing. As I mentioned in last week, my words will give it no justice. You have to go online, or if you have the book, it's the last image in the book. You have to see it to understand what I'm saying. It's simply amazing. And with that background to this image in mind, we see that it ties in with today's devotional on the simple declaration of free. I have to admit, when I first saw the essay in its title, as we're compiling the book, my brain naturally elongated the word, meaning my normal inclination was to think of the word freedom. And even as devotional, my brain wants to say the full word and not just free. When I think of freedom, I can't help it but think of the Braveheart movie, especially when Robert Wallace proclaimed and screamed out, Freedom! But then I read the essay and found that that was not the point Francis would be making. No, she is not making a call to obtain freedom. It is a post-event celebratory acknowledgement. She is declaring that she is now free because of the sacrifice Jesus made. Sin no longer is her prison guard or her probation officer. 
And not only has she been freed, she takes it one step further and brings our attention to the perspective that Jesus is no longer a slave to the cross. He is no longer remains on the cross like we see in artistic crucifix statues or necklaces. No, Francine is telling us that Jesus was raised from the dead and is alive today. Francine is alive, born again in Jesus. Francine wants us to know that she is his because of the gift of faith. And more than that, as she acknowledges that Jesus is her nourishment, her bread and water. And yet, she says he is more than the more of that. Francine goes as far as to say that Jesus is the very air she breathes. Wow. The inference is that she could not remain alive, that she would die without Jesus in her life and heart. She then turns from declarations to making a series of requests to Jesus, a request to be moldable, to be as soft clay, willing to be kneaded into what his mighty hands desire, to be made into a vessel or tool that the Lord can use to benefit his kingdom. Then Francine turns once more from asking to expressing a spirit of thankfulness and gratitude, how she is able to to commune with his presence and the joy she experiences through the salvation of his sacrifice. Now, this was one of the shortest essays in this book, and yet it has an awful lot to unpack. I suspect some of you may roll your eyes when I do this, but I find it helps calibrate and define a baseline for the devotional. Meaning, I turn to our friends Miriam and Webster for a proper definition of this word. It defines free as a verb, adverb, and adjective. And here are some definitions. One, not costing anything. Not money, not bothering, no services to provide for it. There is nothing of value expected in return. Two, not held as a slave or prisoner. No work or service is expected or demanded. Three, not physically held by something. No layaway plans. Four, able to do what you want to do. Able to move, go, or act without being stopped. Five, not controlled by a harsh ruler and not limited by fear or uncertainty. Six, not required to be doing something. Seven, of time. Eight, not being used. Nine, not holding anything. Ten, not covered or filled with things. Eleven, living, doing, or saying something very often. Twelve, free as a bird. Thirteen, free and easy. Fourteen, not strict. That's quite a list. It seems that there's an underlying theme, which is something for nothing and released from obligation, as when an indentured servant is released. To define something is to make its purpose, function, or meaning clear. Freedom is all about flexibility and privilege. I remember when I asked Jesus into my heart at 10 years old, I cried. And I opened my eyes, I said to myself, I am free. Why did I say that? Because we were in Sunday school. And the message the Sunday school teacher was imparting to us was about being free in Christ. Now, hardly no Sunday school teacher has an altar call. 
But this teacher asked, after sharing about being free in Christ, if any one of us had actually asked Jesus to come dwell inside of our hearts. So I did. The next week he was teaching about being holy and living it in our daily life. And I remember focusing on that message. And it stayed with me. And there's a scripture that harmonizes with this in 1 Peter 1.16. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Now this is not a standard to meet, but a simple joy of the liberty we find by becoming like him. Day by day, week by week, year by year. Now often we stumble off the road of righteousness, but getting back up, getting back on and down the road of righteousness is leading us to holiness, continually going from good to better. This scripture has so much more to say about our true liberty in Christ, but let's look at Romans 6.22. But now being made free from sin and becoming servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness, and in the end, everlasting life. 2 Corinthians 3.17 Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. I am a joyful Christian, and the holier I live, the happier I am. I encourage you to put Christ first in your life, and you will find yourself appreciating the grace of God. Now, Francine's theme was free, and I have to confess, I also thought about the Declaration of Independence approved by Congress on July 4th, 1776. And America became the land of the free. And we still enjoy that freedom today because of the sacrifices of brave men and women. For the followers of Jesus, freedom comes from being a disciple of Christ. As you will see, the word freedom takes on new meaning for believers. Let's look at scriptures to help you make your own declaration of independence in Christ. In Romans 6.18, the Apostle Paul writes, You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Hmm. The concept of being free from sin can be a confusing one since all humans fall short of perfection and inevitably commit sins. Being free from sin doesn't mean that you never sin again, but it does mean that your soul can be free of the captivity sin would otherwise hold in it. Now, we talked about the definitions of the word free, but how do we become free from sin? Well, first, we should define sin like we just defined the word free. Now, in a broad sense, sin refers to anything that falls short of the holiness of God. The easiest to spot are usually actions, but sins can also include thoughts and attitudes. In Romans 6.22, it says, But now, being made free from sin and becoming servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and in the end, everlasting life. I bring that up a second time to drive home this point, that we should accept the sinful nature of our humanity. Too many people get caught up in not being able to forgive themselves. Even though mankind was created in the image of God, the fall of Adam and Eve the first humans, signified the fall of all humanity. As a result, humans are sinful by their very nature. In other words, you don't have to be taught to sin. It is already firmly fixed inside of you at the very core of your being from your time of birth. 
which is why we need to understand the significance of God allowing his son to make that sacrifice. When Jesus died on the cross, he carried the sins of humanity with him. Christ's sacrifice canceled out the debt of original sin. We also need to know what it means to be free from sin. Accepting Christ and being freed from sin does not mean that you will never not do another wicked thing again. Christ's sacrifice freed your spirit from the shackles of sin. Your flesh, including your body, mind, and heart, will still have to deal with everyday sin. Your soul can be free from sin even though your body still sins. Wow. Freedom from sin on a soul level should mean that you also seek freedom from sin on a physical level, though it can never be permanently reached. That said, you must make a conscious decision to accept the offer of salvation before your soul can truly be free. If you haven't done so already, ask Christ to come into your life, forgive you of your sins, and set you free. This is a crucial first step. Without relying on Christ to free you, you'll still be captive to sin in all its forms. Love God more than you love sin. Doing the right thing out of a sense of duty is not the point. And it is not what God wants. God wants your love. You come to love God more than you love your sins, and the temporary pleasures those sins bring, you will naturally begin to shift away, to drift away from your sinful nature. But we do need to recognize the seriousness of your own sin, especially habitual ones, which embed themselves into a person's life in a way that makes them difficult to acknowledge. You may tell yourself that a particular sin is nothing more than a bad habit, and as such, isn't that serious? Breaking free from that sin and a lifestyle of sin can happen only once you acknowledge just how serious your sins are. Now, we also need to embed the Word of God in our minds. One of the biggest powers we have against sin in our life is the Word of God. Study the Scriptures regularly. Our goal should be purity of understanding rather than a mere memorization. Thorough understanding of God's Word can help you identify sin more readily and prepare for the temptations and traps that could lead you there. Moreover, regular Bible study can also strengthen your faith and make you more aware of God's promises and discerning of bad spirits. As your understanding of God's love increases, your desire to love the things that God loves will increase too, making it easier to resist what is wicked. Most are familiar with Moses leading the Israelites out of slavery into Egypt. And he said, let my people go. Because of Abraham's righteousness, God promised him a great number of descendants. But today, we look back and see that this was following their 400 years of captivity. Abraham's descendants would be set free. Today, this type of slavery is clear and easy to explain. The Hebrews were enslaved to the Egyptians. They were held in captivity and bondage. This also explains why the Jews in the first century were confused when Jesus declared, the truth will set you free. The Jews believed they had already been free from slavery as Abraham's descendants. It was a birthright. They were no longer working and living as slaves, so what was Jesus saying? To use a term from Billy Graham, they were living in spiritual slavery. And the only way to be free is through Christ. Thankfully, as Christians, slavery is not the end of our story. As Christians, we experience freedom from sin and death. When Jesus died on the cross, he took our sins with him. We are no longer held captive by sin. 
If we are a disciple of Christ, we are under his authority. Paul explains in Romans 6.14, For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. And this is a freedom we can celebrate for eternity, like Francine was doing. While the wages of sin is death, our freedom in Christ means we do not have to fear death. We will spend eternity with him because our citizenship is in heaven. While we celebrate America's Independence Day once a year, we get to celebrate our freedom in Christ every day for eternity. How can we remain free in Christ? Well, Scripture clearly teaches us that he who the Son has set free is free indeed. Biblically, Christians are actually called to fill their minds, not empty their minds. God called us to be a thinking people. He said, let us reason together in Isaiah 1.18. God calls us to love him with our whole heart, mind, and soul. Finally, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, have you, as a Christian, been living these perspectives? Do you see yourself as free? If not, I suggest you meditate on the mystery of the cross and the phrase Jesus said as he passed away when he said, It is finished. Why? Because it removes doubt, fear, and pain and provides the faith needed to endure every trial with joy and to be ready to sacrifice with joy whatever you are called to do for the kingdom of God. Knowing that the truth and joy of the gospel is that you are a forgiven person, go be that person. Share that joy with others who need it today. And if you are not a Christian, meaning you have yet to accept the incredible sacrifice Jesus made for you, then I suggest you contemplate what Jesus did for you. Read the crucifixion accounts in the Bible and consider asking God to refine your soul and heal your heart. Ask Jesus to walk with you and fill you with his love and joy today. And with that, Go in grace, and may God keep you in his perfect peace. Thanks for listening to What the Cross Means to Me, devotional program. Heard every week on KKXX Life Radio. If you'd like to view the image discussed, like this essay's image, The Shadow, along with my other versperations, then check out Magi Cross on Instagram. And if your church, youth group, or school would like to learn about how to fundraise through the Magi Cross products, hear other cross podcasts, or read further meditative musings on the cross through my blog, then log on to magicross.com. That is M-A-J-I-C-R-O-S-S dot com.